Welcome to our live Bible teacher. Uh, we've, we've been looking a lot recently at the miraculous, uh, particularly talking about the power of God and the manifestation of the power of God to cause miracles. And one of the reasons I've been uh, camping a little bit on the subject of miracles is because I believe that God wants to do more. I believe God wants to raise uh, and, and, and increase our expectation of what he can do. Sometimes the miracles in the Bible are, are they're just that. They were in the Bible 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's, it's easy to look at what God did then and get, oh, wow, God split the Red Sea. God did this. But uh, the reality of actually believing God can do things like that today is, is, is a different matter. It's one thing to read about God splitting the Red Sea. It's another thing to be standing in front of a Red Sea needing its split in your life. And, and, and I'm not just talking figurative as well. Figurative's great if it's a figurative Red Sea. But, you know, I, I think sometimes we don't have a lot of expectation of the miraculous power of God manifesting. And uh, one of the reasons we're talking about this is to increase our expectation. So good evening. I'm seeing a couple of the comments. Good to see you. And um, we're going to continue talking about miracles. We're going to talk, continue talking about the manifestation of the power of God. But I'm going to shift our emphasis a little bit today. So I'm, I'm technically, I'm titling this a new series. Um, and I, I want to talk about faith for miracles. Faith for miracles. And, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the power of God. Now, I'm not finished talking about that topic. There's more I want to say. But sometimes it's good to give a bit, then have a little bit of a break, adjust the emphasis, and then go back. We'll talk more about that uh, very soon. But I, I just believe we need to talk a little bit in the context of faith for miracles. Now, I think sometimes, you know, some people are still trying to get a hold of the concept about, you know, can faith cause healing in my life? And now I want to talk about faith for miracles, faith for the miraculous. And we want to, you know, I think people are struggling to get a hold of it in, in the area of healing. I, I don't mean struggling to receive, but struggling to get a hold of the concept that our faith affects healing. They're going to really struggle to get a hold of the idea that faith is connected in any way to miracles. Because, I, I, you know, so often people just think that miracles are something just God does when he wants to. It's all down to the divine sovereignty of God. It's all up to what God wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. So the moment you begin to talk about things like faith in connection to miracles, it's going to ruffle some feathers. And I don't mind, I don't mind, you know, at the end of the day, when you preach the word of God, some people aren't going to like it. But you see, we, we have been, uh, Christians, the idea has been pushed within Christianity that there's very little that we can do to cause the power of God to move in our lives. Where many Christians are very, very dependent upon God just doing it all for them. They're very, very dependent upon, you know, if I need God to move and well, you know, I'm just gonna sit around and, and just pray and beg and cry. And the more I do that, maybe God will have enough sympathy on me and do it. Uh, and large portions of Christianity are like that. They don't realize some things. So we're gonna explore this connection. I want you to begin to understand this is that there, are, there is some insight in the New Testament, and you would have heard me say this about other topics as well, but there is some insight in the New Testament that you don't get elsewhere in the Bible. It's one of the reasons a lot of Christians who, who are so 
they spend so much time in the Old Testament. One of the reasons they don't see some things. They want to build all their doctrine, all their theology out of the Old Testament and ignore some things in the New Testament. And it's because they haven't seen certain New Testament truths. But you see, it's it, it, in the New Testament is where we really begin to see this emphasis on faith and the connection between faith and what God does in our lives. Many people think it's just random or it's just up to God or it's just up to the will of the Lord when he does things. And if he doesn't, if something doesn't happen, it's because it wasn't the will of the Lord. This this idea has been pushed at us and it's become so ingrained in us, but it's contrary to the te teaching of the New Testament. It is diametrically opposite to what the New Testament teaches about a lot of things. But unfortunately, the people with the loudest voice who want to hold to their own opinions above what the Bible said have pushed this idea. But we need to we need to explore this. We need to open our hearts to what the Bible says. We need to open our hearts to what Jesus said, to what Paul and the other New Testament writers said. See, there's something very unique about the New Testament. And there's many, many things that are unique about the New Testament. But one of the things that's unique is that in the New Testament, God gives us a behind the scenes glimpse of how things work. See, God's not trying to keep you in the dark. He wants you to know how the principles that, and how his kingdom works. He wants you to know how things function. And one of the ways things function in the kingdom of God is, is faith. And, and, and you see, G Jesus didn't try to hide this from his disciples. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, well, you know, if, if, if you want to move a mountain, you just got to sit there and hope God moves it. What he said is Jesus, he, Jesus cursed a fig tree. He spoke to a fig tree in Matthew 21. And then he turned to his disciples and said, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but... And this is what this is the amazing thing. He expands it bigger than a fig tree. You can also do it to a mountain over there. And, and you see, Jesus didn't say, well, you can never do what I did. Or, 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 and he didn't even say this. He didn't even say, well, you can just do what I did. He expanded it. He, he cursed a fig tree. He said to them, you go curse a mountain. He kicked it up a level. And he did the same thing later on when he said, that the works that I've done, you will do greater. He wanted us. Jesus wanted us. God wants us to begin to understand how to move into that realm of the miraculous and to understand what causes the miraculous to function, what causes the power of God to manifest and move. It's not just a random thing. Now, sometimes God does it in what appears to be random to us because he's trying to teach us some things. He's trying to inspire us to know how to get that moving consistently in our lives. But because people have been resistant to these truths, they just want it always to be just happen when God wants to do it. And you see, it's because we've not seen what the New Testament shows us. And we're going to explore some of these truths a little bit. Not not specifically just the connection between faith and healing, but, but on a broader level, because healing is, is miraculous as well. We want to see the connection between faith and the release and the manifestation of, of miracles in your life. I believe that if we'll see this connection, we'll begin to understand this, that my faith can actually cause more miracles in my life. Now, this works in line with the power of God that we've been teaching about. So this is not a separate teaching. This is truth that works alongside that. It's the power of God that does the miracle, but your faith 
plays a big part, a major part in whether that power manifests in your life. See, the enemies wanted Christians to believe that we are just pawns in life that are just just here at his mercy and he can just push us around. We're at the mercy of sickness. We're at the mercy of everything else. We're at the mercy of circumstances. And we just got to sit here and cling on and hope that we somehow get through and hope that maybe one day God might have mercy upon me and my little challenge and, and, and do something. That's what the enemy wants the church to believe. And we, and sadly, a large amount of church has been so blinded to the truths of the word of the God. That's what they do believe. The enemy is quite happy with you to believe that because then he can just do all kinds of things in your life and you'll just blame God for it. He'll bring sickness and problems and you'll just blame God. The enemy will just sit there and think, that's great. You just blame God all you want to. But the moment you begin to see some things in the word of God, it's when the enemy doesn't like it. He doesn't want you to see this. And this is where, this is where he brings the opportunity. He doesn't want you to see these truths. God in the New Testament opens up the understanding about the miraculous and begins to help us to see that faith, our faith is a major factor that can cause miracles. You see, uh, it, 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 let's put it this way. If, if my faith, if we can see that in any way my faith is connected to miracles, then we can also begin to realize this, that maybe more faith can cause more miracles or more using of faith cause more miracles. See, and yet if there's nowhere in the Bible where it shows that faith is connected to miracles, then we can just cast this all out and we can conclude and say, well, faith has got nothing to do with the miraculous. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at this. Is there connection between faith and miracles? And if so, is there a way that I can work on the faith side to get more of those miracles? I believe God wants to do more. And the reason he shows us these things in his word is because he wants to do more. And he's looking for a people that will learn principles that enable his power to flow more through our lives rather than just random acts of God. Many people have just been dependent upon random acts of God. But God is wanting to show us, actually, you can walk in a lot more when you begin to see the connection between faith and the miraculous. So we're going we're gonna to focus on this bit of it for a little while uh, in this, as we talk about miracles, as we raise people's awareness of the miraculous. We want to see this connection for the next few weeks. You know, I've mentioned this before, but just think about this, you know. When you became a Christian, a miracle took place in your life. Many Christians don't even realize that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that you were made alive. Your spirit, which was dead unto God, was resurrection power went into your, into your life on the day you received Jesus. When you prayed that prayer and you made Jesus Lord of your life, there was a manifestation of resurrection power in your spirit that raised you back up and God made alive. That right there was a miracle. So the very first thing that happens to you as a Christian is a miracle. The day you receive Jesus, a miracle happens in your life. You might not be aware of it because it happens in your spirit. But let me ask you this question. Does faith have anything to do with that miracle? Is, does faith have anything to do with receiving Jesus? Well, <laughs> you'd have to deny the Bible to say otherwise. Jesus over and over again, and it says, go, go preach the gospel. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe shall be dead. There is a, 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 over and over again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That message is throughout the New Testament. 
And we don't recognize that that act of believing releases a miracle into your spirit. So right there, is there a connection between faith and miracles? Well, in that case, yes. Is there anybody, has there any ever been anybody who, who became a Christian and had that miracle of resurrection power take place in their spirit? Has there ever been a single person that that happened to who was in unbelief and did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is no. You don't, you don't become a Christian without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That miracle in your life can only happen when faith is involved. That miracle cannot and does not happen as a random act of God just doing a miracle in someone's life. You know, just see God just suddenly goes to the street and just makes someone born again like that because God just felt like doing a miracle in their life. And, you know, he's just a random God who just does miracles for some people and doesn't do miracles for other people. No, there is not a single instance in history from the day Jesus was raised from the dead up until today where God has just moved in a person's life by miraculous power, made them born again, made them receive Jesus without their faith being involved. That right there should open our eyes to some truths. But there are large portions of the truth that, of the church that are resistant to this truth. They don't want to accept the connection between faith and miracles. They would rather take the lazy route. They would rather take the easy route, which is, I, I don't have to do anything. It's got nothing to do with me. God just does it when he wants to. We just sit here for 20 years, hoping and praying that something happens in our life. But, you know, it's all up to the Lord. That is the lazy route. And that's the route the enemy wants you to take. That's not the New Testament. The New Testament opens up an understanding of what of, of, of the role we play and the role our faith plays in accessing the power of God and the miraculous in our lives. And it starts the day you are born again with a miraculous release of power into your spirit as a result of you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith causes a miracle. People say, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with my faith to get a miracle. Well, you know, you've already had one with your faith. It's not that difficult. You got it when you got born again. If we could just see that, it could help us cross over some things. But you see, we don't associate that with a miracle a lot of times. We just think, well, you know, I started going to church. I received Jesus. No, no, no. That act, that release of miraculous power into your spirit, resurrection power in your spirit, raising your spirit back up to life. That's a miracle. Now, let's go, to, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And many people know Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Uh, and I want to see the, all over this chapter is faith. By faith this, by faith they were prepared and off. By faith Abraham obeyed. And some of them were things they did by faith and, 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 and like obedience and got an ark ready. But let's let's ask ourselves this question. Is there is there anywhere in Hebrews 11 where faith is connected to miracles that happened? Well, the answer is yes, more than once. We saw one of them a few weeks ago when it talks about by faith, Sarah received dunamis in her body that enabled a resurrection miracle to cause her body to come back to life to have a child. That was a miracle. It's in Hebrews 11. It's directly connected to faith. And, and, and later on, we saw this yes, uh, last week, later on in Hebrews 11, it talks about women received their dead back to life. And it's, it's, it's directly connected to that phrase, through faith. But let's look at another one here, Le Hebrews 11, verse 29. 
Let's see this connection. Let's, let's get a hold of this. Let's begin to realize the potential that God is trying to show us is, is possible in the realm of our faith. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29 says this, by faith. So what's this talking about? Well, <laughs> faith right there. In the whole chapter, every by faith, by faith, by faith, every verse. So we can't say faith has got nothing to do with what he's about to say in the next in this verse, because he's not so by faith. What is he talking about? By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Wow. It's us. Was the was the situation he's talking about here right now? The Red Sea. Was, was there a miracle involved in that situation at all? Was there anything to do with a miracle that, I'm not just talking about a healing, I'm talking about a, a, a display of incredible, miraculous power. Well, the Red Sea is one of the biggest miracles in the Bible. The splitting of the Red Sea is in the eyes of many Christians, one of the biggest events in the Bible. That's, we could class that amongst the top few miracles if you really want to. And here he directly connects that miracle to faith. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now, I'm not I'm not going into the detail right now of what the connection is, but what I, I'm just asking this question. Is there a connection between that incredible miracle in the Bible and faith somewhere in that miracle? Evidently, there is, according to Hebrews 11. Now, you won't get that revelation out of the Old Testament as much. There's a little bit in there. But. This is a New Testament understanding. He's trying to give us a perspective of these miracles and to show us how to recognize the role that faith played in these miracles taking place. Now, let's read the next verse. By faith, the walls of Jericho. This is verse 30, Hebrews 11. By faith, by faith. So it's faith again. Is faith involved in what he's about to tell us in the next in this part of the verse? Well, clearly it is. Well, what if some theologian tells us, hey, well, faith has got nothing to do with miracles. I don't really care what some theologian says. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 says it very clearly. So anybody who wants to teach opposite to what these verses tell us doesn't know what they're talking about and is not preaching in line with the word of God. That's going to offend some people, but we've got to go with the word. By faith, what happened? The walls of Jericho fell down. Was that a miracle by any chance? Was there any manifestation of a miracle connected to the walls of Jericho coming down? Well, if you know, and we should know, that was not a natural event. Those walls of Jericho had stood against some of the biggest armies of that period of time. Many nations had tried to penetrate that city. They couldn't get through. Those walls were designed to be completely unbreakable and impenetrable. This was a very established fortress. Those walls were massive. Now, what did the, what did the children of Israel do to those walls? Did they, did they spend a few months catapulting bricks and rocks at those walls and try to chip away? Did they even take axes and, and things and do anything in the natural to chop those walls down? No, no. What caused those walls to come down? Well, it's the miraculous power of God. There was a manifestation of power. And, and, and obviously they played a role. They For seven days, they marched around those walls 
in silence. Now, let me ask you this. Is, is marching around walls for seven days in silence going to have any, in the natural, is that going to cause those walls to come down? <laughs> what about on the seventh day? Well, they marched around seven times, and then on the seventh time, they shouted. And, and, and they shouted at those walls. And what happened? These mighty, established, strong walls came crum just crumbled. What do you think shouting at walls is going to bring them down? I've got a wall behind me right now. I could shout at this wall, and this wall ain't anything like the walls of Jericho. I could spend the next five years shouting at that wall. It's not going to come down. Shouting at walls doesn't make them fall down in the natural. So this, it's not, that's not what caused it to happen. There was a miracle. There was a release of power that went in, that shattered that entire city and caused those walls to crumble. What does Hebrews 11, 30 tell us was also involved? Was it just a random act of God? Was it just totally in God's hands? Was it just God decided to do it and they had nothing to do with it? No. If that was the case, why didn't the generation 40 years ago, 40 years before that, knock those walls flat? Because they were not a generation of faith. They were, they were also the children of Israel. God bought them. They came very close to Jericho. They came up to the verge of the promised land, the previous generation. But they never got the walls of Jericho knocked down. Well, they had the same God. They had a very powerful anointed leader. They had Moses. The next generation had Joshua. Most of us look at Moses as more anointed than Joshua was. And they didn't get the walls in Jericho flattened. If, if it was all up to God, why didn't that generation flatten the walls of Jericho? Why? Because it took a people who had faith in order for that miracle to manifest. This is the New Testament understanding. This is what he wants you to see. Faith plays a part in where the miracles happen in our lives. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. There is an emphasis here. We can deny this as much as we want. We can write anti-faith books as much as we want. People can try to come, oh, faith's got nothing to do with a miracle. I don't really care. If, if people want to stand that up and say that at the end of the day, it is down to you and me. Do we believe the Bible? And do, does this, is this verse, Hebrews 11.30, is it in the Bible and is it true? Or are we going to talk our way out of this? And say, oh no, faith's got nothing to do with miracles. Because I've just read to you two verses which connect faith to two of the biggest miracles in the Old Testament. The, the walls of Jericho and the Red Sea. And those were two big miracles. And yet he shows us faith faith is connected in some way. I'm not exploring the depth of that connection right now, but I'm showing you it, 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 it's connected. Let's go back. Let's look at one. Maybe we'll look at the other one next time. But, but I, want you, I, want you, I want you to get a revelation of this because you need to begin to realize God put this in the New Testament because he wants you to see this. He put this in the New Testament because he wants his people to understand that there is a connection between faith and the miraculous power of God. And God wants us to recognize that if we can see this connection, if we can get this working in our lives, we can experience more miracles. This is where God's trying to take us. It's what I've been trying to do in the last few weeks. I put a lot of emphasis on the power of God, 
But and this time we're emphasizing faith, but it's because God is wanting to raise up a people who experience this. But that manifestation of the power of God I've been talking about for the last few weeks is not, God doesn't want to just do that as a random act of something he does without any without his people being involved, cooperating with that. The way God wants to bring an increase of the miraculous into the church in our day right now is by, by, by raising up a people of faith who know how to cooperate with his power to produce greater levels of miracles. God doesn't want unbelief miracles. He wants faith-connected miracles. Many Christians want to stay in unbelief and experience the miraculous. You can, you can get to a degree and it'll happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But there's something deeper God wants us to take, take us into. There's a step up that God wants us to take the church into. And that's why he put this in the New Testament. God didn't put this in the New Testament just to ignore it and then, and then wrap this whole thing up in the end times and say, well, you know, I, I, put, I wrote all that in the New Testament just because I was bored. No, he put this in the New Testament because he wanted us. He, he wants to raise up a people who see this truth and walk in it. Jesus, over and over again, made this connection. He made this connection. Did Jesus ever connect faith to miracles? Well, and again, we could look in the area of healing. What about Jesus and Peter walking on the water? In Matthew chapter 14, walking on, uh, Jesus is walking on the water. Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come. Peter comes out. He's walking on the water. And Peter did actually walk on the water. But then he looked around, saw the winds and the waves, began to sink. Jesus helps him, takes him back to the boat. And what does Jesus say in the boat to, G to Peter? Well, you know, Peter, it was just a random act of God. And obviously God just decided to turn the power off and you sang. We'll never understand the mysteries of the Lord our God. That is not what Jesus said. What Jesus said, that was a walking on the, on the water, miraculous power manifesting in Peter's life. And they get in the boat and Jesus immediately says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did Jesus connect faith into Peter's miracle turning down, turning off and Peter sinking? Because Jesus wanted us to see there's a connection between these things. He wanted a church. He is wanting the New Testament is bringing this emphasis. You actually, you won't get this out of the Old Testament. Yeah, this is what, it's why half the church doesn't understand it because they know the Old Testament more than they do the New. But this is an emphasis in the New Testament. God is wanting to raise up a people who begin to recognize that my faith has the power. My faith is, is able to bring the, the miraculous power of God into manifestation in my life. And if I can know how to get faith working, not only can I experience healings, but I can have other miracles too. The power of God is ready to flow and manifest in people's lives. God's teaching us. He's trying to show us. And this, this is something he wants to be. He's trying to bring people to the place where they see this. And once and for all, so many times Christians, again, slip back out of this mentality. Even the people who know about faith, we get a challenge in front of our lives and we immediately slip back into this, oh, God, help me. And we just, we don't put faith into practice. And we just we throw, oh, I've gone, you know, I'm just trusting. The Lord. Oh, God, please get me through this. And there's no faith involved. And it's one of the reasons power doesn't manifest so much in our lives. But God's wanting us to see this. Now, let's, let's go back and talk a little bit about the Red Sea. 
I've, I've mentioned it in, in previous times, but there's a few things I want. I want to actually look at that miracle today because we've just seen in Hebrews 11, faith was involved in that miracle. Hebrews 11 shows that through, uh, through faith, they crossed over on dry land. So let's go back and talk about this and uh, see if some things we can learn out of the Red, the, the Red Sea miracle that will help our faith. I believe, I believe there's some things we can see here. Now, let's, let, let's just explain. Most of us know the details of what happened, but let's explore it a little bit just to, 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 to kind of tell about what happened here. God has just brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Again, incredible manifestation of miracles in Egypt that brought them out, the plagues. They've just come out of Egypt and God had sent Moses in for the express purpose of bringing his people out. In other words, we know it was God's will to bring the people out of Egypt. Why? Because God had promised them a land. He said, I'm going to give you the land, the land that I promised to Abraham. And we know God wanted them. God wanted them out of Egypt and he wanted to take them to the land. So there's no question about what God wanted, the will of God. So they come out of Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, I don't, I've never really looked on a map how far it is, but the first real a major event that happens is the Red Sea. They are just, they are shortly out of Egypt. I again, I don't know how many miles they've traveled yet, but they've come out of Egypt. They are now moving in the direction of what God wants for them. They are moving toward the promises of God. And what happens? They come to a barrier. They come to an obstacle. And in fact, God led them specifically to that place. Exodus 13 and 14, God led them there. It says God didn't take them around the land of the Philistines because they were not ready for war. So the other option was to take them to the Red Sea. He either took them through the land of the Philistines and they would have had war. God knew they were not ready for war. So he took them the way of the Red Sea. But he led them right into a place where there was an obstacle in front of them. <clears throat> a challenge. Something stood in between them and where God had told them he was taking them. You see, many times people today, they, they, they say, oh, you know, God, they mean to do this. And they step out in a direction and they think if, if God's in it, if God's told me to do it, then it's all just going to go right by itself. Again, that's not a Bible mentality. This preach, preach that. That's not a Bible mentality. If that was the case, Paul was clearly never in the will of God because he got stoned and beaten. There were obstacles everywhere he went. Here come the children of Israel out of Egypt. They are heading towards where God wants them to be. And they hit an impossible, unpossible ob obstacle. They don't have any boats. They don't have ships. I'm not even convinced that many of them could swim. They've been slaves all their lives. And then they've got all their kids and elderly and their farm animals. You know, they've got all their stuff. No boats. And right in front of them, impossible obstacle. Exactly where God has led them to be. Not only that, they look behind them and here comes Pharaoh. Here comes the enemy. 
It's wonderful to read this in the Bible. Put yourself in their shoes. Many Christians, they they step out. Oh, God's led me to do this. You know, I've taught in Bible colleges a lot. So this is one one I hear a lot. People say, oh, God led me to come to Bible college. I'm so excited. I'm going to Bible college. And one week into Bible college, they come to you and say, I don't have the money to go to Bible college. I'm going to have to quit. I'm like, what? Well, I thought God led me here, but I've got financial challenges. Everything's gone wrong in my life. So I'm going to quit. Well, because they think if God told me to do it, it's all going to just be easy. And you see, the enemy knows we've got to just press one button in your life, make it difficult. And we just throw in the towel and we think, well, obviously God didn't want us to do it. Put yourself in the shoes here with the Red Sea. They are moving to the promise of God, the promised land. They are going exactly where God wants them to go. And they come directly to to an impossible object. The enemy's right behind them. Just because the enemy's on your tail doesn't mean you're you're out of the will of God. But the, the only way out of this situation was a manifestation of miraculous power. Why would God put them in that situation? See, many times Christians, oh, the Lord must have a reason. You know, the Lord must have a reason for all the problems going on in my life. And so they sit back and accept the problems, thinking the problems are the reason. No, no, no. This is the fact. Maybe there is a reason. The reason is God wants you to learn to trust him to smash through the thing. That's the reason right there. God wants, he, he, he led them into that situation so that they could believe him to get past it. Why? He was training them. He was teaching them. He was teaching them how to use their faith. There was no point, at no point in that Red Sea situation were the children of Israel actually in danger. Now, they thought they were in danger, but God, God there was no point that they were in, their lives were in danger. But God wanted them to learn to trust him. Why? Because in order to get them into the promised land and through those giants, they had to learn how to believe him. So this Red Sea situation was training ground. It was not training ground for them to sit and cry and say, well, God, the Lord must have a reason for trapping us. So we're just going to all sit here and be trapped and accept the Lord's reasons. No, that wasn't the reason. The reason was not so that they could stay trapped. The reason was so that they could use their faith to smash a hole through that ocean. See, this is where a lot of the Christians are getting it wrong. They think that the problem, the Lord, the Lord must have a reason for me being in this problem, so I must accept the problem. No. God wants you to learn how to apply his word. God wants you to learn how to use your faith. He's got bigger, better things for you on the other, other side of this. And he's, he says, let's, let's teach you how to get your faith working so that my power can manifest in your life. We can smash a hole through that sea and you can come out and you leave Pharaoh way behind you. Amen. Yes, he's a good heavenly father. That's right. But you see, it's easy for us to read this miracle in the Bible. It's quite another, another thing. If you put yourself in the shoes of these Egyptians. They didn't know a lot about the power of God. They didn't have, they didn't have Bibles to read that they could understand. But they were right there. Red Sea in front of them. Enemy behind them. But God had a plan. And God's plan was for a, the miraculous power to manifest. One of the reasons many people don't experience the miraculous power of God is because when they are in situations just like that, they quit. 
And then they walk away. Oh, well, I thought I was in the will of the Lord, but obviously not. And then they go and do something else. And then they never end up with a testimony of how God provided for them and came through for them. And then they hear other people's testimonies. God, you know, I was in an impossible situation and God came through for me and I, I stood my ground. And those Christians look and oh, I wish the Lord would do that for me. You know why he doesn't? Because every time you're in those situations, you quit on the word. You never get as far as the Red Sea splitting. Because we just think it's all up to God. What God is wanting is a people who will stand their ground and believe him. And then his power manifests. And that Red Sea splits. On the other side of that Red Sea was their victory, was their freedom, was everything that God had for them. But it was going to take a miracle to get them there. But in order for a miracle to happen, God wanted a people of faith. That's why Hebrews connected into faith. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about it. I've got so many different things here in my, in my scripture, so I'm not going to get to look at all of them. But let's go back and let's talk a little bit about it in, in, Hebrew, sorry, in Exodus 13 and 14, particularly Exodus 14. Now, some of this I've already summarized a little bit, so I, I won't go into the start of Exodus 14. Exodus 14 is what, is what I've just described now, where, where they look behind them, they get to the Red Sea, and then they look behind them, and there's Pharaoh coming up behind them. But I've, I've gone through all of that already. That's the first few verses. Okay. Oh, let me say something else on this. Let me actually, I will cover this. Exodus 14, verse 9 and 10. It says, so the Egyptians pursued them. So they've just come out of the land. The Egyptians pursued them, all of the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them, camping them. In other words, that basically means they reached them. Overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they're in a situation that's caused a lot of fear in them. Now, let me, I'm going to, you need to understand this. At this stage, the, the, the children of Israel were, were pretty young in the things of God. Many of them have never, they've, they've seen living in, 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 in Egypt, but only for a few days or weeks. I can't remember how long. They're not talking, they haven't walked, been walking with God for years and years and years. In terms of experiencing his miraculous power. <clears throat> so this this situation with the Red Sea was a learning ground for them. This was for them to begin to learn because God knew what was ahead. He wanted them to learn in this situation. So I, I believe in this particular situation, God tolerated a little bit of, you know, they got into some fear and other things. You know, how many of you know you expect more out of adults than you do out of babies? That doesn't mean that. Because Hebrews, Hebrews 11 shows us there was some faith involved in this. But I want to show you what that faith was and, and what, where God wanted to take them from here. What I wanted to say about this verse is this. Pharaoh has had them and they get set free. This is a side thought. I want you to see this though, because this will help some people. Okay, it's a side journey, but it's a very important point. They have been under Pharaoh's control. They have gotten free from Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh is coming back after them to take them back into bondage. Now, there's, there's, there's some people who the power of God moves in their lives and they get set free from something. Like, for example, let's talk in terms of physical healing. Let's talk in terms of cancer or, or another illness. Someone gets set free from something. There have been people that have been healed. God's power has moved. They actually have been healed. They've gone back to a doctor and the doctor says, you are clear. 
Yeah, cancer's gone. And yet five years later or two years later or a short period of time later or long, that cancer comes back. And very often those same people, they, they, they get defeated by it the second time. This is, this is a side journey, but I need to say this. See, people say, oh, I thought God set me free, but obviously it's come back. I want you to see what happened here with the children of Israel. They got out of Pharaoh's, they came out of Egypt. They got set free from Pharaoh. They came out of Egypt, but Pharaoh came after them a second time and tried to pull them back into Egypt. This has happened to some Christians, and there's been Christians who have lost it the second time. There's been times when God has set people free from something, his power has moved, and yet the enemy has come back a second time, and the second time the person has yielded to that thing and been defeated by it. And they thought, oh, I thought God set me free from it, and well, obviously not. You need to realize this. Just because God moves in your life and sets you free from something doesn't mean the enemy's not going to try to put that thing back on you. Don't yield to it the second time. The same God who got you free the first time will get you free the second time. The same Bible truths that got you free the first time will get you free the second time. Don't let Pharaoh pull you back in the second time into that problem. I needed to say that. That's not in notes, but this is important. There's some people who are going to listen to this who are going to need to hear that. You've been free from something, might be cancer, might be illnesses, and the enemy comes back at you a second time with it. And very many Christians get defeated on the second attack. Because they get discouraged and they think, oh, I thought I got free from this. Don't let the enemy do that to you. There can be just as much manifestation of the power of God the second time. In fact, even more. God moved to these people. Pharaoh tried to bring them back into Egypt after they'd got free from him. And the power of God moved and they had a Red Sea miracle. Split the Red Sea in front of them. That power can move in your life a second time. So don't let the enemy beat you on that. Amen? I needed to say that. Now, let's, uh, let, let, let's, let's look at some things here. Let's go toward the end of the miracle because this is I want to say this before we finish this teaching in the last few minutes tonight. tonight. So they come through the Red Sea. Power of God manifests. The Red Sea splits. We could go into some of the details of the miracle, but I'm jumping over that. They go onto the other side, and then the, 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 the Red Sea waters go back into place. The whole Egyptian army killed, and they're standing on the other side of their miracle. Now I want you to see something. What happens next? This is very important. There's something that God intended. God wanted that Red Sea miracle to have to do something in the children of Israel. And it didn't do that. And this is where everything went wrong for them afterwards in the wilderness. Okay. Notice, look at, look at um, Exodus 14. Verse, the last couple of verses, verse 30 and 31. Verse 30 and 31 says this. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Notice what happens here. A lot of times people read that and say, well, they believed the Lord. That's good. Yes, it is. And in fact, God, in this instance, God allowed that to happen. God was doing something here. 
God was dealing with the people who didn't know a lot about his power. So there's some things manifested and the intention of what they saw was to create, was to help inspire faith in them. Let's put it that way. They saw the miracle. Notice this, that this people believed God because of what they saw. Remember with Thomas, Jesus said, you know, hey, you believe because you see my hands. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believe. God, God, God doesn't just want our believing him to always be based upon us seeing things. But sometimes he manifests his power so that we see something so that it can inspire us to believe him for more. Okay. In this instance, this people, the only reason they really believed God here is because, because they saw the miracle. And this is why I say this people were relatively young in the things of God. They didn't know a lot about believing God at this stage. So God, God used this because his intention was that they were supposed to look at this and begin every obstacle after this that they faced in the wilderness. They should have thought, God got us through the Red Sea. He'll get us through this too. This is why sometimes God does things in people's lives. It's designed to inspire you to believe him for more. It's designed for you to begin to look at that and think, God got me through that. He'll get me through the next thing. Okay. This isn't what happened with this people. God got them through the Red Sea. But what happened next? Here they are. They supposedly believe God. Now I'm going to show you something in the New Testament. This is very important. Okay. Don't tune out yet because I'm close to the end. The very important point I'm about to make, it'll help you in some areas. Okay, so the very next thing is they come out of the Red Sea, Exodus 15, they begin to praise God. They get all excited. They praise the Lord. God's done an amazing thing in their lives. And they praise God. They get excited. Miriam, uh, was it Moses' sister, wasn't it? She got all excited and she, they, she went around praising the Lord. Exodus 15. Now, Exodus 15 and verse 22, look at what happens. This is the people, they're so excited about what God's done in their lives. Exodus 15, 22 says this. So Moses brought Israel, Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days. How many days? Three days. This is not very long after the Red Sea. Three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Then, the, therefore, the name of the neighbor was called Marah, and the people complained against Moses, saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink?" And they cried, and, and it goes on. But notice this: they began to complain. And the Bible doesn't show this as a positive situation. They were. They, what was supposed to happen here? When God came through for them in the Red Sea, that was supposed to start a process in their lives. That was supposed to give them something to fall back on so that they say, God moved in our lives last time. He will move in our lives again. Many Christians don't get to the stage. They don't ever get to this. Every time Israel faced a new challenge in the wilderness, they acted like God had never done anything for them up until that point. They acted like, you know, oh, well, we don't know if God's going to move in our lives now. Oh, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Or we, you know, it's hard here. God could never get this people to the place where they said, God did it for us before. He'll do it for us again. 
This is one of the things this people never get to. One of the greatest miracles in the in, in, was the Red Sea. But at this stage, they were young in the things of God. They believed because they saw it. But that was okay at that stage. But what should have happened next, three days, three, this isn't even six months later, three days. This is the difference between going to church on Sunday and seeing God move. And by Wednesday, you're acting like there's no God and God's never going to ever answer your prayers. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Christians like this. Three days after one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, they start complaining and acting like, well, you know, what, how are we going to get through the next challenge? What are we going to drink? See, there are things that God does in our lives that are designed to inspire us to believe him next time. The Christian life, every time it's supposed to be an answered prayer leads you to the place where the next time you face a challenge, you are less fearful. You are less discouraged because you look at it and think God's got me this far. He'll take me through the next problem. Many Christians never, ever get to that stage. Every time they have to face a new challenge, they fall apart. They phone their pastor, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pastor. Pastor prays for them. They get through the situation. Two days later, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pastor. I don't know what to do. It's all falling apart again. And then four days later again, pray for me, pray for me, please. I need someone to pray for me. I've got another problem in my life. They never, ever grow up to the stage where they begin to realize God's got me this far Let's believe in through the next situation. That Red Sea was a learning ground for them. That was supposed to pave the way for the wilderness. So that every situation they faced in the wilderness, they looked at it and thought, God wouldn't have brought us through the Red Sea to die here. God's going to take us through this problem too. Many Christians, we, we don't see, we, we act just like the children of Israel. Every time we face a new challenge, we act like God's never passed through anything. We're supposed to face every new challenge with an, with an expectancy. God will bring us through this one too. And this is growth. You're supposed to grow so that every time a new challenge comes in your life, you don't fall apart just as bad as you did the first time. But with Israel, they fell apart every time as if God had never done anything for them. Now I want to read you something in Romans. Okay. <clears throat> so there's a passage here that many people get a bit confused about. Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, I won't read all the way from verse 1, but from, from, um, from verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says this. And not only that, he's just talked about us rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations. So people think, oh, you know, we're supposed to thank God for the, for the tribulations. No, that's not what he's talking about. In that tribulation, you are rejoicing and giving glory. It doesn't say glory for the tribulation. It says glory in the tribulation. We also glory in. While we're in that tribulation, we're glorifying God. Now, that's not what a lot of people are doing. Most people are falling apart and complaining and getting discouraged by the tribulation. This is in context of him talking about us rejoicing in the previous verse. He says we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, 
perseverance, character. I'm not going to go into all of these, but I want to get to the last one. Character, hope. Now, that word hope there means expectation. Expectation. Why does he start on tribulation and he end on expectation? Because of this. He says, we why do we glory in tribulations when the problem comes why do we continue to rejoice because we have an expectation that god will do for us what he did for us the last time i'm going to show you this in context because he this continues on he's saying the reason we face tribulation with joy is because we know we have a god who's going to bring us through it we don't fall apart in the tribulation we face tribulation with expectation, knowing what is expectation? Expectation that God is going to move just like he smashed through the Red Sea. He'll bring me through marrow as well. The bitter waters of marrow, which we just read about. And notice what he says here, because uh, in fact, just for time's sake, I won't read verse five and six. Actually, I will. <clears throat> um, Verse five, now, now hope does not disappoint. Expectation does not disappoint because the love of God has been brought, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For, now notice what he does in the next few verses. This is fascinating. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What's he saying? It's come through for you once already. You were without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one yet die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Notice this. He is saying God has demonstrated. He has shown you that he loves you. He demonstrated his love to you in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the next phrase, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What's he going to say? He's saying, don't, you, don't sit there in challenges questioning whether God loves you. He says, God showed you that he loved you already. He did something in the past in your life. He demonstrated how much he loves you in that even when you were a sinner, he came through for you. And he said, now what that should do is begin to give us hope and expectation that through the things ahead, I don't have to question whether he loves me. I know he loves me and I can expect him to come through for, my, for me again. If you read this passage, the way it's laid out is he keeps saying God came through you in the past. He moved in your life through Jesus. So, you know, he's going to move in your life in the next situation. That's what this passage is. actually. If you read the context of this. You'll see this. He keeps saying, God did something for you when you were ungodly. He moved. He sent Jesus. He moved in your life. And he showed you how much he loves you. So don't sit there questioning now. I don't know if God loves me. He's already shown you that he loves you. He demonstrated his love for you in Christ. So then he says, now, much more now, we shall be. We know we're going to be saved from the next thing. Why? Because I know God loves me. He's already shown me that he loves me. This is what this is what God was trying to get into the children of Israel. He came through for them in the Red Sea so that the next situation they faced, 
they could face it with hope and expectation because they would say, God already did something for me. I know he's going to come through for me again. This is, what, this is what's supposed to be happening in the Christian's lives. And he does it again in the next verse. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. He's saying, if you have confidence to believe that God reconciled you to him to himself when you were his enemy, what makes you think he's not going to move in your life now? This whole passage is in context of if you're facing tribulation, you can get excited. We can have expectation. And then he starts referring to things God did for you in the past. God got you. God saved you when you were a sinner. Christ died for you then. God moved for you then. God showed you how much he loved you. So now you know how much he loves you in the next situation you face. I hope that's come across clearly. If you read that passage and think about what I've just said, you, you can begin to see this. He's trying to show you, face the next situation with confidence God loves you. Face the next situation with expectation that God will move through, will move for you. You know you will be saved from the next thing because he already showed you he will come through for you. Now that is a place God's trying to bring a lot of us to. This is what happens with faith. Faith begins to believe God got me through already. God, God, God sent Jesus to the cross. He died for me. What makes me think he's not going to do something in my life now? I can face what I'm facing now with expectation because I know he's already moved and done things in my life. He's already shown me how much he loved me. That's what the Red Sea was supposed to do for the children of Israel. God moved through them. God wanted to set them up so that their whole journey through the wilderness, every challenge they faced, they were supposed to say, God got us through that one. Of course he's going to get us through this one. That's what God's trying to do with Christians. And we keep resisting that. Every time you get Christians, every new situation they face, they fall apart like God's never done anything for them. And you'll see that they're constantly, oh, God, help. Please help. Please, please help. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to come through. You know, I, I, I'm still standing. I might have had some challenges. I'm still alive. I still got food in my cupboards. God's got me this far. And I know he's going to take me through the next challenge. And our faith begins to grow and grow and grow in him. And the more it does, the more the manifestation, the miraculous you begin to experience in your lives. So let's let's learn from what, what I've tried to show you. Let's get a hold of this. Let's begin to realize that why? Why did they face that Red Sea? That Red Sea situation was a training ground. That was to, supposed to set them up for success through the rest of the wilderness and through success all the way into every obstacle they faced in the promised land. They were supposed to have a fallback. God got us through the Red Sea. And then what would have happened is if they'd, if they'd faced Marrow with that attitude, they could have said, well, God got us through the Red Sea and he got us through Marrow. So now we don't have any food today. Well, God's got us through two things. Then after the third miracle, then they could have said, God got us through the Red Sea. God got us through Marrow. God provided food for us. We know God will come through on the next situation. Every situation you face is supposed to build experience and increase your expectation that God will move for you the next time. Instead, 
we have Christians who face every situation as if God's never done anything up until now. And that's why Romans said, look back. While you were a sinner, he died for you. Now we know he'll save us from the, from the wrath to come. That should build. That's why you go into that tribulation with, with excitement and with expectancy. Because I know God got me this far. This is supposed to be an increasing faith walk. And the more it increases, the more the faith grows. But the devil is stunting people's growth. He's got us caught up in the cycle where we keep going back to square one again and acting like God's done anything for us. Then we wonder why we're not moving forward in leaps and bounds. If you want to move forward in leaps and bounds, you've got to break the cycle of, of every new situation you face, acting like God's never done anything in your life. Remind yourself, man, he did this, stole all the way at the cross. He sent his son. Ah, and, the, and the enemy sits on your shoulders. God doesn't really love you. And then he says in Romans, he said, God demonstrated. He showed you how much he loved you by sending his son so that now we have no doubt that he'll show his love for us the next time. It's an assurance, just like Carlos has just said. So I hope, I, I trust this has got, got a hold of you because I want, I want, I want us to more and more understand the, the connection between faith and miracles. And begin to realize, but this Red Sea miracle was supposed to set them up. God, sometimes God does things when you're younger as a Christian because it's setting you up to believe him, to have confidence that he'll do more, that he'll do the next thing. And many times we don't learn this and we just stumble straight back in. You know, I look, sometimes people say when I was a baby Christian, I got results really quickly. And I don't understand why I don't get results very quickly these days. <clears throat> it's because God carried you a little bit in those early results. Because he was trying to show you what he could do so that it could inspire faith so that you could believe him to do those things now. But we keep falling back and not actually learning the lesson and not growing and not realizing God got me this far. He'll get me through the next thing. He's done things in my life before. He'll do things in my life again. That is an attitude of faith. And you get that attitude, you'll begin to experience more than miraculous in your life. Amen. So anyway, that's, that's what I had on my heart for today. We're going to look a little bit more at the, at the connection between faith and miracles and, and, and still, still increasing our expectation for the miraculous to happen because I believe God wants to do a lot more miracles and he's helped through what we're studying. We've talked a lot about the power of God. Now we're going to talk a bit more about the faith side of things. We'll talk about other things that God wants us to so that we can really begin to understand how to step more into the miraculous. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the people who've listened to this teaching. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for the power of these truths. Help us to begin to realize, Father God, that we're supposed to face every new situation with an increased expectation. Help us to begin to realize that's part of how faith grows. We go through one challenge, you come through for us. We face the next challenge with increased expectancy because we know you brought us this far. And, and, and we thank you, Father God, help us to start to grow in these areas once and for all and to not be like the children of Israel. Every situation like God's never done anything for me. And thank you that as we see this more, as we act upon this, as we understand how to how to believe you for more things, Father God, we can begin to grow and move forward and more will manifest and more will happen and more power will move in our lives as we begin to 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 stir up our faith in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you all. I've seen some of the comments and I will, I'll have a read through afterwards, but I appreciate those. And it's good to see you all. And we will see you all again next week for some more.
Amen.